Can you hear me now? Okay. Perfect. So, but before we dig into God's word, let's have a quick word of prayer because I really need God's spirit. Heavenly Father, please grant me your spirit. Lord, speak to the hearts of each of us here and help us to hear your words to us. For we ask these things in Jesus' name and thank you. Amen. So, Revelation chapter 4, and we'll start with our, uh, right before the scripture reading. Revelation chapter 4, and in verse 8, we see that there are four beasts around the throne of God, and these four beasts each have six wings and lots of eyes, and they cry day and night saying, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. And whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who is seated on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who is, are, who is seated on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne saying, worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and by you will they exist, by your will they existed and were created. And so here we have this, this song of praise from the 24 elders being raised. And I'm going to focus today specifically on why our God is worthy to receive glory. Now, the word in the Greek for glory here means majesty, brightness. It can also mean your opinion of something. Uh, in, the, in the Greek New Testament, when this word is used, it always means a positive or a favorable opinion um, or an estimate of how, how valuable, great, mighty something or someone is. And so... Um, this, this Greek word can be used in that, that sense as well. And so turn with me to Psalm 96, and we're going to get an Old Testament example of what this glory of God is all about. Psalm chapter 96. Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. Do you hear praise being lifted up. He's like, praise the Lord with song. Sing unto the Lord, bless his name. Show forth his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the heathen, his wonders among all the people. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Give unto the Lord, O ye kindreds of the people. Give unto the Lord, what? Glory. Glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the what? Glory. That is what? 
Give unto the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into the courts. And this is kind of the focal central theme of what we're going to be talking about today. This glory of the Lord, this glory that is due him, that is due to his name. This glory that then prompts us to sing a song of praise and to bring an offering and come into his courts. Ah, I just love this. It's going to be great as we dig into it. Revelation 4, verse 11, to receive glory and what? What was the second thing? Honor. Honor. Glory and honor. So, honor. What does this one mean? In the Greek, it literally means value or price, like in the monetary sense. It can also mean value by way of valuation. So, like, you know, I were to take, if, if I was a piano appraiser and I were to take a look at that piano and say, this piano is worth X, okay, I'd be ascribing a value to it. And that's what this root Greek word can be used for. Um, so it can be used to mean value or price. Uh, in Matthew chapter 27, in verses 6 and 9, we find the only uses of this Greek word in the entire book of Matthew. Matthew 27, verses 6 and 9. Matthew chapter 27, verses 6 and 9. And the chief priests took the silver pieces and said, It is not lawful to put them in the treasury because it is the honor of blood. It's the value of blood or the price of blood. Um, that word, that Greek word, is the same Greek word that's used in Revelation 4.11 for honor. Um, this, it literally just means price or value. So give unto the Lord the value that's due unto his name. Uh, in verse 9, we find the same, same word again. And they took the 30 pieces of silver, the price of of him that was valued. And that word price is that same word. Um, I think in other versions, verse 6, it says the blood money. And that word money is, is, comes from that same Greek root. Um, another place is John 4, verse 44, where we find this. John chapter 4 and verse 44. Now, after two days, Jesus departed thence and went into Galilee. John chapter 4, verse 44. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet hath no what? Honor in his own country. Same Greek word. No value. Like nobody, nobody takes what he has to say, who he is, as meaning anything. And so they, they ascribe to him no value. Um, and, and this is a rather sad commentary, you know, as, as Jesus um, testified, you know, a prophet doesn't have value in his own country. And th- I think this is the same use of the word as, as we have in Revelation 4. 
verse 11. The same sense of value. Give him the value that's due to him. Just like Jesus wasn't given the value due to him by the Galileans, especially those in Nazareth. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20. We also find an interesting connection between glory and honor. 1 Corinthians 6, verse 20. For ye are bought with a price. That word price, same word for honor. It means value or money. Um, For ye are bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. And that word glorify God, 13, it's the Strong's number 1392, which comes from the root 1391 found in Revelation 411. It's the same root as, as the glory that, that is due unto God's name. So you're bought with price. What kind of a price? The blood of Jesus. That is the ultimate price. An infinite price. Truly an infinite value. And because of this infinite value, give him glory. Ah, I love it. You wanted to say something? You can't. And that's why no matter how much value, honor we, we give to Jesus, no matter how much we say, Lord, I'm going to give you my all, my everything, it, it'll never be enough. It'll never truly meet the value that he's placed in us. It does have value to him. You're right. So anyways, that, this, I, I, I love these concepts, the glory, the honor, and yet, yet someone had something to say? You got it. Uh-huh. That's where the power comes in. Good job. I saw that. You knew exactly which word was coming next. Glory, honor, power. Power? That Greek word, strength, power, or ability. The word is dynamis. It's the same root word from which we get dynamite. So I love this word. So essentially, give God the dynamite that is due to his name. Ah, I love it. He is worthy of the dynamite. He's mighty to save. Turn with me to Zephaniah 3.17 to illustrate this one. Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty, mighty. He will save you, will rejoice over thee with joy, with joy. 
He will rest in his love. He will joy over thee with singing. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty, mighty, mighty. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty, is mighty. He will save, he will rejoice over thee with joy, with joy. He will rest in his love, he will joy over thee with singing. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee is mighty, mighty, mighty. I love this verse, Zephaniah 3.17. The Lord thy God in the midst of thee, he's mighty. He's powerful. He will save. He will rejoice over thee with joy. I, I love that. You know, you, know um, you said we don't have the strength. We don't have the power, the ability to give God the strength, the, you know, the glory, the honor that's due unto his name. And you know what? The great news is we don't have to. We don't have that power. God has it. He's the one who's mighty mighty to save, mighty to give us the strength to give him the glory. There's this sermon illustration. Um, I, there was a man who once heard, I believe it was, it was uh, ah, I'm going to get the person wrong. I think it was Dwight L. Moody speak. And Moody had to catch a train to go to the next place. And this young man came up to him as he, you know, he, he had sat, sat down on his seat and was looking out the window. A young man came to the window of the boxcar and he says, Pastor Moody, I, I so appreciated the message you gave. I gave my life to Jesus. But I was wondering, how, how, do I, how, do I let, how do I let him use me? How do I really give my life to him? I, I want him to use me in his service, but what can I do? And Moody thought for a second, grabbed his pencil, and held it in his hand, and you know, said to the young man out the window, young man, can this pencil stand on its own? The young man said, of course not. It can't stand up on its own. Moody took his hand and he said, look, it is. He's like, but you're holding it. And Moody was like, that's the point. You can only stand when God is holding you in his hand. And it's the same for us. You know, God is the one who has the power. He's the one mighty. He's the one who, when he holds us in his hand, gives us the power to give him the honor. I I love this. There's, you know, the, um, the parable in the gospels where Jesus talks about the talents, the 10 talents. He gives five to one, gives three to to another, and then one to the last one. 
So in this parable of the talents, it says that the talents were given to each according to his ability. And that word ability is the same word used for power in Revelation 4.11. So it's, it can mean power. It can mean this dynamite strength. Um, uh, and it can also mean ability. Uh, ability to accomplish tasks. Ability to wisely use these resources. Um, all throughout the Gospels, it talks about Jesus went into this place and he did many mighty works. The mighty works, same root word. Uh, for power. Um, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. Uh, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 7. Love this verse. Starting in verse 6. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earth and vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Second Corinthians 4, 6 and 7. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. For God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the transcendent of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Second Corinthians 4, 6 through 9. So here in verse 7, we have this treasure, this knowledge of God in earthen vessels, that's you and me, that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Ah, I love this. Give him, worthy is the lamb, to receive power. I love this text too. And he said unto me, my grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength, same root word, is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I rather glory in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. This passage from Paul is such an encouraging verse. 
You know, in our weakness, God's strength is made perfect. Worthy are you, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. Now let's go back. And in the last 18 minutes or so that we have together, let's look at this glory, this glory of God that's w- that he is worthy of receiving. And how it is that we can render back to him even some measure of this glory. Turn with me to Exodus. And we're going to look at one of the primary meanings of glory in Scripture. But especially of the glory used in this verse in Revelation 4. Turn with me to Exodus. Exodus chapter 19. In the third month, when the children of Israel were gone forth out of the land of Egypt, the same day they came into the wilderness of Sinai. So here the children of Israel leave Egypt And they've been in captivity for 400 years in a nation that didn't know the Lord. And in the time of a Pharaoh who didn't know Moses, who didn't know Joseph, I think is how the, the Bible says it. And so here we have a people, God's people, but they don't even know the God they serve. They don't know him personally. They don't have any real connection with him. And so one of the first things God wants to do once he brings them out of their captivity is to give them a picture of how majestic he is. He's already given them pictures of how good he is, how loving he is, how much he cares for them. He brought them out of Egypt. He's provided food now for them. He's he's done so many things already for them. And here he is now about to give them a picture of the glory of the Lord. Skipping down to verse 9. So here he's about to meet with the children of Israel. And the Lord said unto Moses, Lo, I come unto thee in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with thee and believe thee forever. Exodus chapter 19, and I'm switching to ES, to a different version. So it would be pretty easy for the children of Israel to just like take the words of Moses as they came from Moses and not really give them the weight that, that they deserved. Um, and so God's like, you know what, I, I'm going to give them a picture of what it's like to hear directly from the great, majestic, glorious God Almighty. And then when you give them messages from me, they're going to remember who this is coming from, really. It's not just coming from a human being. This 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 is my message to them. 
And so Moses, and the Lord said to Moses, behold, I'm coming to you in a thick cloud that the people may hear when I speak with you and may also believe you forever. When Moses told the words of the people to the Lord, the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them today and tomorrow and let them wash their garments and be ready for the third day. For on the third day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And you can imagine that all their, their clothes are dirty from traveling through the desert. I, I just went to the desert last weekend and I wore a pair of shoes that didn't fit me quite right. And, they were, and I wore them for one evening, maybe two hours, in, like, in between the campfire and the tent. Like, it was like almost no wearing them. But when I brought them home, they were covered in dust. Can you imagine you know, traveling for 20, 30, 40 miles into the desert, and here you are scuffing in the sand, and you know, there's all these animals that are raising billows of dust, and everything's going to be coated in dust. When I was a little boy, I lived in Africa. And in Africa where we were, there was a lot of dust. It was red dust. We had two seasons per year. One season we called rainy season. The other season was dry season. That's all the seasons we had. We didn't have spring, winter, fall, you know, summer. We had rainy season and we had dry season. And during the dry season, it was dry. Everything dried out. We were in sub-Saharan Africa, so we'd get these huge dust storms that would blow in. But the dust storms would blow in only one particular time of the year. And it was the time of the year right before the rains came. And we'd get these huge clouds. And they were clouds, not of rain, not of water, not of moisture, but of dust. <laughs> and it would look like a wall in the distance, in the horizon. And it would come closer, and it would come closer, and it would come closer, and it was just red. And then as soon as it hit, it was like visibility went to 15 feet. And all you could see was dust everywhere. I can only imagine, when we came back from Africa, there wasn't anything in our possessions that wasn't coated in red dust <laughs> because there was no escaping it. We were in the desert and this dust got everywhere. So you can imagine they have three days to prepare to meet God. And he's like, you're going to need to take a bath. <laughs> you're going to need to clean up, get settled <laughs> and prepare to meet God. And you shall set limits for the people all around and take care not to go up into the mountain or touch the edge of it. Whoever touches the mountain shall be put to death. No hand shall touch him, but shall be stoned or shot, whether beast or man, he shall not live. When the trumpet sounds a long blast, they shall come up to the mountain. So Moses went down from the mountain to the people and consecrated the people, and they washed their garments. And he said to the people, be ready for the third day. Do not go near a woman. On the morning of the third day, so here the third day arrives. It's the day they've been waiting for. And it comes with 
great fanfare because there's thunderings and lightnings and a thick cloud on the mountain. Why a cloud? Why was there a cloud on the mountain? Well, Hebrews 12, verse... Hebrews chapter 12, verse 29 gives us a reason why there was a cloud on that mountain. Because Hebrews 12, 29 says, for our God is a consuming fire. And that's why in 28 it says, wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. So one of the reasons why they needed to be so reverent, so prepared to meet with God was because God is a consuming fire. Hebrews 12, 29. Last verse in the chapter. So there was thunder, lightning, a thick cloud, and a very loud trumpet blast. So when you see these same things happen again in Revelation chapter 11, you know there's a parallel. That's getting, that's, that's just a side note. So that all the people in the camp trembled. Then Moses brought the people out of the camp to meet God, and they took their stand in the foot of the mountain. Now Mount Sinai was wrapped in smoke because the Lord had descended on it in what? Fire. The smoke of it went up like the smoke of a kiln, and the whole mountain trembled greatly. And as the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder, Moses spoke. And God answered him in thunder. The Lord came down on Mount Sinai to the top of the mountain. And the Lord called Moses to the top of the mountain. And Moses went up. And the Lord said to Moses, go down and warn the people lest they break through to the Lord to look and many of them perish. Also, let the priests who come near to the Lord consecrate themselves lest the Lord break out against them. And Moses said to the people, the people cannot, said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai, for you yourself warned us, saying, set limits around the mountain and consecrate it. And the Lord said to him, go down and come up, bringing Aaron with you, but do not let the priests and the people break through to come to the Lord, lest he break out against them. So Moses went down to the people and told them. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt out of the house of slavery. I love this. This is the paradox of who God is. On one hand, he's bright, majestic, loud, glorious, fire. Unapproachable, untouchable. And the next second, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. The next instant, he's like, he's like, I'm glorious and I'm personal. I'm your God. Sometimes we, you know, theologians refer to these two concepts 
as the eminence and the imminence of God. The eminence of God being the, this, like, the glory, the, the majesty, the, the, the distance of God. And then the imminence being the closeness of relationship that God wants to have with us. And both are important, and both are who God is. And sometimes, you know, some churches have a tendency to, like, really magnify how great and grand God is, build huge cathedrals, and have incredible choirs fill them with incredible music. And it really gives you a sense of the greatness of God. I don't know if you've ever had the chance to travel to a large cathedral and listen, or to visit any of the cathedrals of Europe. I've had the privilege of visiting a few. And the sense of awe and reverence you have when you enter one of those spaces is so incredible. And then, on the other hand, some churches will, say, will like just like totally emphasize the fact that Jesus is your personal friend and Savior, and he wants to be close to you and be a part of every aspect of your daily life, and they totally lose the fact that he's also the God of the universe. But the truth of God is both. I love it. I just, I just love it. God is incredible. He's glorious, and he's glorious. Amen. Glorious in majesty and brightness, but glorious in how he saves us individually, personally, striving with us through his Holy Spirit. Amen. And this glory changes us. In fact, it changed Moses. Go forward a few chapters. Because after Exodus 20, God, Moses goes up into the mount and he receives a lot of instructions from God. And then, keep going, he receives all these instructions for sacrifices and offerings and the temple and just like all these different things. And then in Exodus chapter 32, the people make a golden calf. Just 40 days earlier, they heard God speak. 40 days later, they had forgotten that the almighty God, the ruler of the universe, was in charge. And they were already looking for somebody else to take them to the land of Canaan. Sometimes I think we can do the same things. Sometimes we can see a picture, get a glimpse of the glory of God. And then we fail, just like the Israelites, to ascribe to him the glory that's due his name. And we forget who God is and that he's real and that he's in control. 40 days later, Moses comes down from the mountain 
breaks the, t- the two tablets of stone, breaks the Ten Commandments that God gave him because the children of Israel had broken God's law. And then in chapter 33, this is where we pick up the story. Chap- Exodus chapter 33. God says to all the children of Israel, you know what? Go ahead. Go on to the land of Canaan, but I can't go with you because if I do, you're, you're all going to get consumed. <laughs> you, you, I, I, can't, I can't dwell in the midst of you like I want to. And everybody mourns. And then, and then God says, you know what? Take off all your ornaments. Humble yourselves. Let me take a look. Let me see what I'm going to do with you. And then he meets with Moses face to face as a man speaks to a friend. And in verse 12, Moses says to the Lord, See, you say to me, bring up this people, but you have not let me know whom you will send with me. Yet you have said, I know you by name, and you have found favor in my sight. Now, therefore, if I have found favor in your sight... Please show me now your ways that I might know you in order to find favor in your sight. Consider too that this nation is your people. And he said, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, do not bring us up from here. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? Is, not, is it not in your going with us? so that we are distinct, I and your people, from every other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, This very thing that you have spoken I will do, for you have found favor in my sight, and I know you by name. Moses said, Please, show me your glory. And he said, I will make all my goodness pass before you, And will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. And will show mercy on whom I will show mercy. But, he said, you cannot see my face, for man cannot see me and live. And the Lord said, behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand in the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock. And I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will take away my hand, and you shall see my back. But my face shall not be seen. Here, I love this story. Moses has talked with God face to face up until this point. And seeing God, this picture of who he is, and what he's willing to do for his people is changed has changed his life. It's changed his heart. So that now this people that have caused him no end of grief and pain and heartache, this people of Israel, he is pleading for. It's like he's praying for his enemies almost because they've pretty much 
already said, hey, we don't want you to lead us anymore. We, we, we think we're going to have Aaron lead us in this golden calf. You know, they, they'd pretty much disowned him and God. They hadn't, you know, they'd, they couldn't stop complaining. Eventually, like towards the end of the story, they even break his patience. But Moses has been changed by seeing God. And this transformation of heart and life has given him a love for people that he didn't have before. And he is now reflecting the glory of God. We see this in 34, verse 29. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, he came down from the mountain. Moses did not know that the skin of his face shone because he had been talking with God. Just imagine that. You know, Moses goes into the mountain again, talks with God. God says, I'm going to show you my glory. And when he does, Moses then, like, gets irradiated. And he starts glowing. I don't know, maybe like a nuclear green glow. I, I don't know what kind of glow this was. But here, Moses' exposure to the glory of God makes Moses' face glow. Let me propose to you that the only way we can let God receive the glory he is worthy of is by reflecting his glory right back. What's this glory all about? Go back to the beginning of 34. The Lord said to Moses, Cut for yourselves two tablets of stone like the first, and I will write on the tablets of the, wor the words that were on the first tablets which you broke. Be ready for the morning and come up in the morning to meet to Mount Sinai and present yourself there to me on the top of the mountain. No one shall come up with you. And then verse 5. The Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Glory do his name. The Lord, the Lord God, a merciful, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children to the third and the fourth generation. And Moses quickly bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped. And he said, if now I have found favor in your sight, O Lord, please let the Lord go in the midst of us, for it is a stiff-necked people, and pardon our iniquity and our sin, and take us for your inheritance. Here it is. The Lord, the Lord God, merciful, gracious, long-suffering, abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. 
Moses was beginning to reflect these very same attributes. He was reflecting the mercy of God and claiming the mercy of God as sufficient for even the Israelites' wandering ways. Here, Moses is slow to anger. He's being patient with the people who have rejected God and rejected him and saying, God, don't destroy them yet. Bear with them a little bit longer. Abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. You know, God, you promised that you would be with this children of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and that you would lead them into this land you've promised for them. You are a faithful God. Please keep those promises. Here we see Moses is reflecting the character attributes of God. And how is it happening? He was just communing with him face to face. Just like we have the opportunity every morning to get up and commune with God every day. And then we're going to have a different attitude towards our enemies. We're going to want pardon for them rather than punishment. There's a story that's told. Happened during the American Revolutionary War. A man named Wildman of Ephrata, Pennsylvania, earned a bad reputation for his verbal abuse of Peter Miller. Peter Miller was a pastor. He was a pastor of the Dunker Church in the same town. So here we have Wildman, appropriately named. He's got a bad reputation for how, what he's doing. And you have Peter Miller, the pastor of the Duncan Church. Subsequently, Wildman enlisted in the Continental Army. While he was still in the service, he was discovered to be a spy. So here he was serving the Continental Army, but he was really spying for... He was really actually spying for the enemy. So he was tried, he was convicted, and he was sentenced to be hanged. Now, what do you think Peter Miller, the pastor, would have thought? Wildman had, had constantly been saying what a bad person the pastor was. He'd been constantly talking bad about him. What do you think this pastor would have said? Ah, oh, yes, my enemy, he's going to be hanged. How, how great is that? Well, Miller, Pastor Miller, heard about the sentence. His heart was touched. He walked 60 miles to Philadelphia to intercede on Wildman's behalf. How many of you have walked 60 miles recently? 20? <laughs> 20? Here, Pastor Miller walks 60 miles to intercede on Wildman's behalf. When he made his plea before General George Washington, the general replied, I am sorry, but I cannot grant your request to spare your friend's life. But sir, Miller replied, he's not my friend. He's my worst enemy. 
George Washington paused. You mean you walked 60 miles to plead for the life of your enemy? That puts the matter in a different light. Your request is granted. Washington signed a pardon and gave it to Miller, who walked another 15 miles to where Wildman was awaiting execution. When Wildman saw Miller coming, he, he sneered and said to his fellow convicts, there comes old Pete. He came to see me hanged. Hardly had Wildman said this, then Miller pushed his way through the crowd and handed the condemned man the pardon. We can imagine Wildman's surprise. Did Wildman have a change of heart and did he become Miller's friend? I don't know. But one thing I do know, Miller behaved like a Christian. He had seen God's glory. He had seen his character. He'd seen his love, his patience, his long suffering, his tenderness. And he decided, hey, I'm going to reflect that back. I'm going to give God the glory. Let's do his name. I'm going to reflect Christ's character. He'd been changed. He wanted to do what God wanted to, to do. And that's what I hope all of us want today. I know that's my prayer, and I hope that's yours. And if it is, please stand with me as we have our closing prayer. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you so much for what you've done for each one of us. And Lord, I pray that you would change our heart. Change us so that we would want what's best for you, for your kingdom. So that we would want even to bless our enemies and to love those who persecute us. Lord, it's not something that comes to us naturally. And so we want to just commit to spending time with you each day, to learning more about your love, your character, and to allow you to change us from glory into glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. For we pray these things, thanking you in Jesus' name.